coming to you from the Philadelphia area. This is the Westchester Church Podcast. The prayer was prayed about the power of Jesus Christ. And we have sung the song, and sung the song, and sung the song about the power of Jesus, the majesty of our God. And we love Jesus, and we glorify his name. In fact, when you look through the Bible, you will find that there are many names for Jesus. And if you will take those names and delve into the meanings of those names, I promise you, your love for Jesus will intensify. We've seen before how Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How Jesus is referred to in the pages of sacred scripture as the Son of Man and as the way, the truth, and the life. A few Sunday mornings ago, we had seen how Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. In the book of Revelation, John the Revelator refers to Jesus. He he identifies Jesus as the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And yet this morning in Mark chapter 6, I want to go to a name that is a little bit off of the beaten path. It's a name that is assigned to Jesus that is a really a subtle name. And it's a name and it is a description of Jesus that so often evades our perception. Mark chapter 6, and I begin in verse 1. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. And they were saying, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? How are such mighty works being done by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter. Well, a carpenter. Jesus is called a carpenter, so what? Why a carpenter? Well, because he was born into a carpenter's home. You know, this was a Jewish boy's custom to take on what his father had done. Jesus is being reared in this ancient Jewish society where if a where if a father had failed to teach his son a trade, it was viewed as being akin to teaching him how to beg when he grew up. Now, in our text, notice that all of this is happening among Jesus' hometown people. Jesus stands up in his hometown synagogue, and, I mean, these are the people who saw Jesus grow up. I can assure you that there are women inside this synagogue who who held Jesus when he was an infant. Many of these people, if not the majority of these people, remember vividly Jesus running around playing with all the other children not that long ago. Jesus has mesmerized people in just about every other locale that he's gone to, but when he comes to his hometown region, They're just looking at each other. They're looking at him 
out of scams. And they're saying, where did he get these things? What wisdom does he think that he's speaking of? How are such mighty works being done by his hands? And that's because, after all, all they ever knew Jesus as was the carpenter. Notice how they do not identify Jesus as Jesus the Lamb of God or, or Jesus the way, the truth, and the life, but rather in their eyes all that they had seen as he speaks was Josh the carpenter. Jesus' name in the Hebrew language, Yeshua, is Joshua. And so more literally what these people are saying in living color in the text is, isn't this Josh the tecton? A tecton is a Greek word for a person who was a woodworker, a person who made things with their hands. It was an artisan. Isn't it remarkable that when the word became flesh and it dwelt among us, that Jesus would spend roughly 70 to 75% of that time working as an obscure woodworker? And yet I want us to look a lot closer than that this morning, more than anything, because that word carpenter is a complementary word of the name Emmanuel. God among us. What, what Emmanuel means is that God among us is also God with us. And God with us is God as us. And as they say, isn't this the carpenter? This is a testimony to the humanity, once again, of Jesus Christ. And so once again, Jesus knows what, what our everyday lives are all about. I mean, every facet of, of life upon the earth, Jesus has, he has experienced it and tasted of it. I mean, just imagine that Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, woke up to a day job that, that he went to six days a week as one of the handy men of Israel. You see, what this means for us is that Jesus knows what, what long days of hard work and the unreasonableness of customers coming in with these impossible expectations is all about. Why a carpenter? Well, because he came to do the work of a carpenter. What does a carpenter do? A carpenter builds and a carpenter repairs and when people came in from around the village area and said, Joseph, could you and your son make us a table or could you repair our chairs or, or a cabinet or, or just whatever it was? And don't you know that the job was well done? And don't you know they did the best job? And don't you know that the word went out? And don't you know that they had all the work that they could possibly handle? Because that's what a carpenter does. A carpenter builds and a carpenter repairs. And I want you to know that this was hard work. This was before Black and Decker. Jesus came to do the work of a carpenter. One day Jesus is on a road on the way to Caesarea Philippi. And he's with his 12 apostles and his disciples. And he asks them a question. It's a teaching moment. He says, who do you guys think the Son of Man is? And the 12 disciples just kind of look at each other and they're like, well, some say it's John the Baptist. And 
Other people say it's Elijah or Jeremiah or, or one of the other prophets. And Jesus is like, no, 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 but I'm wondering who do you guys think I am? Do you guys think that I am Josh the Tecton, Josh the Carpenter? And that's when the Apostle Peter speaks up to Jesus and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it is in this moment where Jesus looks intently into the eyes of Peter and he says that, that I say to you that you are Peter and that upon this rock I will build my church. Well, you and I have a tremendous handicap this morning. As 21st century American people, we hear Jesus say that I will build my church. And what registers in our minds is I'm going to go and build a cathedral. I'm going to build wooden pews and a pulpit. And I mean, if Jesus wanted to, to have done that, Jesus could have done that because after all, he was a carpenter. And yet when Jesus the Tecton built his church, he created a dwelling place far closer, far more intimate than even those prophets and apostles themselves ever could have dreamed of. We may remember how in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus brings it to a close, what he says, and, and as he speaks in the context of, of what we hear and what we do with what we have heard from him, Jesus says that everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and, and slammed up against that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded upon the rock. And so when Jesus built his church, Jesus did not build a sandcastle. He did not build a cathedral or a pew or even a pulpit. But rather, as the wise master Tecton, Jesus built his house and his church there upon the solid rock. Once again, what he says to the Apostle Peter is, is that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He goes on and he explains to Peter, and, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. We're all aware of exactly what this means as we look ahead into the book of Acts as, as the Apostle Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and proclaims Jesus to them and the church is built and the church is established. It's something that the Apostle Paul elaborates on, especially in Ephesians chapter 2. There in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19, what, what we hear him say to the church at Ephesus is that, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are members of the household of God. You have been built on the foundation of the apostles and on the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you also were being built together into a dwelling place by God in the Spirit. When Jesus built his church, he constructed a spiritual dwelling place within the souls of mankind. 
And so you see, we ourselves as his church have been built upon the testimony of the apostles and on the prophets and everything that they had said concerning Jesus. And yet I would especially like to emphasize and to call our attention to that word cornerstone. And that's because of all of the stones in a structure, the cornerstone is the most precious, important commodity of them all. A cornerstone is what is placed where two different walls of a building come together. The cornerstone is what is aligning that whole building together as one piece. And notice in the text how the Apostle Paul says that the cornerstone of this church also happens to be the architect of this church. Jesus is the cornerstone. The church is not a cathedral. But rather, the church is where you and I learn to call upon Jesus the tecton to once again return to his workshop and to lift up his tools and to pound and chisel away at these ice-cold jaundiced hearts of stone of ours. At these hearts of ours that are so sick with selfishness and with greed and with sadness and with lust and with hatred and with the world. Suddenly, our, our understanding of church becomes such a beautiful thing because what the church is is where we come together as one and we enlist the services of Jesus the carpenter to repair us, and to renovate our souls into individual houses of God. And Jesus follows the tecton's method. You see, a carpenter can look at a tree and he knows exactly what can be made out of that and exactly what kind of wood that is. I'm not a carpenter. I can look at that exact same tree and I can say, well, it gives good shade and that's about it. Jesus looks at us. And as soon as he lays eyes on our hearts, he knows all the beautiful ways that he can transform us into becoming something better. And when we need to be plain and when we need to be polished, Jesus knows when that needs to be done. Why a tecton? Jesus is the tecton because he died a tecton's death. Jesus was not put in an electric chair. He was, he was hung on a tree. And they used the tools of a carpenter, hammer and nails, in order to pin him to that tree. Jesus went from hammering nails into wood to having his hands nailed into wood. He went from proudly lifting up his finished product in his father's workshop to being lifted up himself upon a cross as the finished sacrifice, showcasing the grace of the father for the sins of the world. Jesus spent his very first um, Passover of his ministry, spending what would have taken three hours making a scourge of cords with his bare hands. He had seen how many of the Hebrews were going into the court of the Gentile minorities and were having um, a marketplace there as a way of rubbing it in their faces that, that we, the Hebrews, are really the only ones God cares about. So, so we're just going to really disrespect you and your only worship space. 
Jesus understands that, that his father's house is to be a house of prayer for all of the nations. And after he drives everybody out of the temple and he does everything that, that is recorded there, it's to be expected that many of the religious leaders are indignant at Jesus and they're saying, what sign do you show us? You know, really, in other words, what they're saying is, who does this guy think he is? Who do you think you are? And Jesus replies, See this temple right here that you guys care so much about and that you worship above God himself? Jesus says, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. And these guys are scoffing at him, and they're looking him up and down like he's insane. And I think it's a possibility that at least a few of these guys were aware of the fact that Jesus was a carpenter. Perhaps as they see Jesus, I mean, clearly when they see Jesus, they don't see Jesus King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And yet rather as they hear Jesus say this, what registers in their mind perhaps is that this is just Josh the carpenter. Listen, Josh, <laughs> It took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to single-handedly raise it up in just three days? Listen, I don't care how much business you and your father got in that, that shop. No carpenter can do that. Oh, but this one can, and this one did. We're on the third day, after they have pulled Jesus' lifeless body off of the cross, and they have it inside a tomb. On the third day, God the Father raises him up from the dead, and soon, in the weeks and months ahead, his church is built. And so when Mark says, isn't this the carpenter? I mean, can you see the power in that word? Carpenter. You know, every now and then, Amanda and I watch these home renovation shows on television. And I'll never forget how we were watching this one particular show where they went inside this woman's house and there was 40 years, literally 40 years of garbage that was consuming every square inch of her house, stacked up all the way up into the ceiling. And the house was all dilapidated and the roof was, was on the verge of collapsing upon her. And the camera spans over here, and there is a takeout container from who knows how long ago, and it's got green fuzz protruding off of the lid. And as the camera crew is trying to step around stuff, they are stepping around cockroaches and dead rats. But for most of the show, though, they slowly but surely take all of that garbage out of the house. One rancid, gag-inducing bag after another until all of it is removed. Then they start sweeping the house clean, and it's sparkling, and it's spotless. And then they begin knocking down walls and renovating it. And at the very end of the show, as she walks inside the house for the very first time ever since, she can't believe what she's seeing. I mean, she, she is breathless with awe. And that's because now all of a sudden it is a brand new house. And all of that garbage is no longer a part of her life. 
This is the work that Jesus the carpenter wants to do in our hearts, in our minds. This is what Jesus wants to accomplish in our marriages, in our families, in this congregation, in our everyday lives, you know, in our relationships. And I close with this thought in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, Jesus is preparing his his students and his apostles for, for the fact that very soon he's going to be making his departure. You're no longer going to see me in a visible sense because I will go away, he says to them. And in John chapter 14, what he says is, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God the Father, believe also in me, God the Son. He says, for in my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, what I have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Well, once again, as 21st century Americans, we really have a handicap here, don't we? 21st century people hear Jesus say that I'm going away to prepare a place for you and in my father's house there are many mansions and, and what registers in our mind is, oh, he's speaking about heaven someday. He's speaking about how one day at the very end of our life we're going to inherit a mansion over a hilltop and God give me this and God give me that and God owes me this and God owes me that. And it really, and, and primarily what Jesus is doing here is he's using ancient Jewish wedding language. He's using language that was used all the time in this age where, where a groom would tell his fiancée that I, now I'm going away and I'm looking for a house and for a dwelling place where you and I can always dwell together. So you see, as Jesus says that I am going away to prepare a place, he's not speaking about streets of gold or, or mansions over hilltop. It doesn't mean that right now Jesus is up there hammering away on an apartment complex up there in the clouds somewhere. But rather when Jesus says that in my father's house there are many mansions, he's speaking primarily about his presence. He's referring to his power. He's talking about his wisdom and his love and his peace making its way into our minds, our hearts, and our actions right now upon the face of this earth. You and I, my brothers and sisters, are his many dwelling places. We are his mansions upon the face of this earth that when enjoined to others who believe in Jesus and who love Jesus, are growing up into a holy, pure temple in the Lord. And with his arms wide stretch, he welcomes all people to come. And if you are sick and if you are hurting this morning, Jesus is here to restore your brokenness. What is there in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts that is most in need of the carpenter's restoration work. I pray that we may hear these words echoing forth into the days ahead as, as the people of Jesus' hometown object to him and they say, isn't this the carpenter?
It was intended as a dismissive insult of Jesus's power and, and his lordship, but, but it was really the greatest compliment that they ever could have given him. Because yes, the answer to that question is yes, Jesus is the carpenter. Jesus is the builder, the architect of spiritual transformation, the tecton, the renovator of the souls of men.